0: Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Perrings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition.
1: Episode number 24, understanding whole life insurance dividends. You know, we were, I think it might be important to just um, Broad strokes where dividends fit into the picture, and you know we like, like a lot of the stuff we've talked about this before. But there are usually two components of growth in any given whole life insurance policy, and the first component is the guaranteed growth that happens within the policy. By guaranteed growth, we're talking about the life insurance cash value, and then on top of the guarantees, there are non-guaranteed growth factors of a policy, and that's that's the dividend that we're talking about, and the dividend is the, the non-guaranteed component. It's not guaranteed, but some of the best insurance carriers out there have paid dividends every single year for 120, 150, over 170 years. And so they're not guaranteed, but there's a there's a very good track record of them being paid.
0: Yeah, and one of the important things to really know about dividends, especially as it applies to infinite banking, is how they are different when coming from a life insurance company than they are when, say, you own a stock. Two completely different types of dividends.
1: Right. And I think one thing to quickly point out is since there are are different types of permanent life insurance policies, and we've talked about universal life products, and those are typically characterized as permanent, even though I could argue that they're not truly a permanent life insurance product, but dividends are only paid on whole life insurance policies. There are some other types like endowment type policies, but for the sake of today's conversation, dividends are a characteristic of whole life insurance policies with a participating mutual insurance company. And that's the important key factor there is participating where the policy owners are actual owners of the mutual insurance company.
0: That's a key point. And to have a participating policy is is really a requirement for IBC because if you're dealing with a a life insurance company that say is a stock-based company versus a mutual, and what that really means is their ownership can be purchased on on the exchanges. Dow Jones being an example, you can buy stock in big name life insurance companies where all it takes is an E-Trade account to basically go buy stock in those companies, and you get to participate in their dividend for the performance of those companies. A mutual-based company is one where it's privately owned, and the whole life policyholders get to benefit from that surplus profit that the life insurance company creates. So when we're talking about participating policies, we're talking about policies where We are the owners of the life insurance company because we have whole life policies uh, with these companies and we participate in those profits. Uh, An example from my life, an unfortunate example, my parents purchased one of those baby Gerber policies for me when I was a newborn and they didn't realize it. And of course I didn't realize it uh, later on until much later on that these policies are not participating policies. So I never actually received a dividend on that Gerber life policy while I was growing up. The the impact that it had on the growth was pretty substantial. So you do want to make sure when you're implementing IBC, you're working with an advisor who not only is an authorized advisor, but you're working with a life insurance company that has participating dividends.
1: So you mean to tell me you didn't have the conversation with your parents about participating versus non-participating as a, as a baby?
0: No, I didn't even know I was participating in a whole life policy, to be honest with you. <laughs> ah, very good. Very good. Meta. Very meta. Um,
1: well, you know, so it is interesting because as as we look at these participating companies, what the dividend really is, is a what's called a return of premium. And it, it's important to understand that whole life insurance is a conservative financial product that provides guaranteed cash flows either in the form of the death benefit or guaranteed access to the cash value or when the policy endows if you happen to you know with some in some cases if you lived 121 the policy will endow and the the death benefit is still paid and so it follows that they would price their products accordingly to make and provide some cushion and so when they calculate premiums, they calculate these using the maximum cost of insurance, the maximum costs that they think it takes to run the insurance company, and the minimum guaranteed interest charges. And this is important because what they're doing is they're building in some conservative cushion to, along with the actual actuarial calculations provide these guaranteed cash flows to policy owners. And so the recent Dave Ramsey thing where he came out and he, he basically kind of tried to bash dividends as a return of premium where you're essentially overpaying and you're just getting the money back. One of the difficult things out there is, you know, that actually is a true statement taken out of context in the fact that in what world do you consider saving an overpayment? or you know if you build cushion into your into your monthly or yearly budget how is that overpaying if you're actually saving that money and that money is going to you and so the reality is you get the rate of return so to speak on the guarantees plus the dividend that's going to be what it's going to be and so the, whether or not you're overpaying doesn't really have anything to do with what your, the actual performance of this guaranteed cash product
0: I have two thoughts on that that came to mind. First, it relates to this question that I'll get from people, how much does it cost to get started? Uh And when I get that question, I usually turn it around and say, well, how much does it cost you to save money? Because I have to remind people that when you put money into a whole life policy, it's not an expense. It's actually part of a, a savings program that provides a Crystal clear blueprint on how it's going to perform every single year for the rest of your life. And if you know that you're going to have more money than what you put into it, what is it actually costing you? My second point I wanted to bring up is the fact that these policies are engineered to perform. It's much like the analogy that was given to me years ago in how elevators are engineered. When you step into a an elevator, it might say this elevator has the capacity to hold 10,000 pounds, right? Well, in reality, it can probably hold double that, right? It's, it's, I don't know if over engineered is, is the right word, but that's the way these whole life policies are designed. They're so conservative and ultra cautious. They're actually charging more in premium than they think they'll need. But that's a good thing because you want to have that cushion. And the beautiful thing is, you know, bringing it all back is that if they're overcharging, guess what? It's going to come back
1: that's right and it's it's like creating a cushion in your business or in your personal life I mean the, having that come back to you is is not necessary is not a bad thing all you're doing is creating a larger and larger pool of capital that has guarantees and so his whole thing is well th- all you're doing is overpaying when you could be putting that money in the stock market and then he goes on to compare you know whatever the you know rate of return so to speak of an insurance policy let's say it's four or five percent he goes and compares that to 12 percent in mutual funds which is like an outlandish statement to be to begin with but then it's also well if you're going to compare those two products let's compare the guaranteed numbers what are your guaranteed numbers in your mutual fund what are the after tax guarantees of the mutual fund what are the after fees, guarantees of the mutual fund. And so it becomes a little bit of a different conversation when you remind people that we're talking about a guaranteed cash product, not an investment. I think we've probably beaten that to death, but <laughs> it's so important because people just really get confused in terms of, you know, what we're actually doing with whole life insurance.
0: In uh, in beating this one to death, I'll, I'll throw another one out there. How many All people, right. how many people like getting a tax refund and celebrate.
1: <laughs> the great point. We're like, oh, I got a tax refund. Where you know you're basically saying that people are cushioning their what they pay in taxes every year and they're getting it back. Well, also here's something that here's something to think of. You know, if you let's say you didn't overpay and quote unquote overpay and you put that money in a mutual fund. Well, what's that little bit of difference in a mutual fund? What's that going to do for you if? you were to die the following week. The little bit of, I don't know, you can almost think of it as like escrowed money that gets returned to you, that little bit of money, you're paying a certain amount of money to create a certain outcome if something uncertain happens in your life. Like if you pass away or you become disabled, you become chronically ill, you know something like that, where you will not get those benefits investing in mutual funds.
0: Yeah. I think the key word I just took from that is You're paying for the outcomes. I think that's really profound because, really, with a mutual fund and that type of investing, there, there is no outcome other than speculation. Right. A speculation of of future gains, which may or may not come, but it has nothing to do with the actual planning process that whole life planning can provide a family, whether that's future income, uh, the disability benefits that you mentioned, long term care benefits. These are all additional outcomes that can be planned for that you can't do anything with a, as it relates to the typical Wall Street type of approach to to planning, you have to use additional dollars to take care of all those uh, potential risks. So I, I I like that.
1: Yeah, it's almost I mean, you could think of it as like, here's another type of quote, unquote, mutual fund that you can put money into. And no matter when you die, you'll get essentially what that mutual fund would have grown to, whether you can contribute to it for the entire time or not.
0: Yeah. I want that mutual fund. That's right. Where can I get it? And what <laughs> additional benefits can I get? Um, give me that blueprint. And when I pass away eventually, uh, awesome. That mutual fund will turn into a greater tax-free benefit for my family. Cool. Where can I sign up for that?
1: Have we beaten this horse to death enough and we can dig more into uh, dividends or should we keep going on that?
0: Uh, I think we digress sufficiently enough. Let, let's get back to, to dividends. Okay. So
1: another one that comes up, you know, we've, again, we've talked about this in the past is direct versus non-direct recognition. What's the difference and, and does it matter?
0: Oh my goodness. I love this one because this conversation prompted Nelson to reach out to me in 2007. I had oh. sent him an email asking him what was best direct versus non-direct. He basically said, son, you're majoring in the minors.
1: <laughs> we could say that about a lot of things that we that we uh decide to think about in our lives,
0: couldn't we? Right, exactly. Well, Nelson had a way of also saying that eliminate all the noise out there. Well, th- this is part of the noise that's out there because even in talking about understanding whole life dividends, I think what Nelson told me back then really applies. you're you're, you're majoring in the minors, because ultimately we're having this conversation about dividends and trying to to make heads or tails, how dividends work. And the, the bigger question, is, is it really important for IBC? Because is IBC about dividends, direct or non-direct? It, it really isn't. the The bigger point that he was trying to make is that these whole life policies are engineered to work out no matter what. He in fact told me, all you need is a good administrator for your plan, a mutual, Based life insurance company and a policy that's designed to accomplish what you want to accomplish with it. The direct versus non direct, let's get into that so people understand what the difference is. Uh, A direct recognition company is a mutual life insurance company that pays a slightly lower dividend on cash value that you've borrowed, whereas a non direct recognition company will pay you the full dividend even with a loan outstanding. Now, on the surface of things, one sounds better than the other, right?
1: It sounds like non-direct is better than direct because I get the full dividend paid no matter
0: if I have loans or not. That's the way it sounds. But in truth, there is no free lunch anywhere. And I think people all realize this. When I bring it up, I tell people, look, there's no free lunch. They immediately know, oh yeah, you know, some experience in life has taught them there is no free lunch anywhere. Well, there definitely is no free lunch in life insurance. So how does one company afford to pay a full dividend on borrowed cash value, whereas another company doesn't? What is not being explained? And this is basically what's happening. If you have a non-direct recognition policy, you're actually receiving a lower dividend across the board from the very get-go. Now it doesn't make that policy inferior to a direct recognition. It just makes it different. Right. Ultimately in the end, it doesn't really matter. And one of the things I've always tried to tell people, look, if you're doing IBC right, you're gonna have multiple policies and you know you should have a policy that's direct, another policy that's non-direct within your whole portfolio of policies and how you use them really is gonna be up to you. And ultimately as Nelson tried to articulate to me back then, It's really not going to matter because the point of IBC is taking control over your money. And you do that by creating an entity that allows you ownership of your money so it can continue to grow even while you use it someplace else.
1: That's a great explanation. It's, uh, I think it's something that a lot of advisors have trouble explaining. I think we've been pretty lucky to, you know, have have met and partnered up with people that have done a lot of the research and, and have and have taken a look at this and, and at the end of the day, it really just doesn't matter that much um, at all, whether it's direct versus non-direct.
0: Yeah. It's, it can be very challenging. I'll admit to, to convey this to people because a lot of the marketing out there, even by advisors, I just saw one recently where, it was insinuated that one was better than the other. Mm-hmm. And that creates a lot of noise and it's unavoidable. Right. And it just makes what we do ever more challenging because it's another hurdle that we have to jump over to help people to understand IBC. It's not about the dividends. That, that's that's the, probably one of the biggest takeaways, at least from this episode, that I can give li- listeners. It's IBC is not about the dividends. It's great that you get them, but the reason why you do IBC in the first place, it's not because you're going to receive dividends.
1: And that tees up the next point that it's not a rate of return. And before we jump into that, I just want to maybe close off with one last thing is that everyone's looking at you know, these things as, as a rate of return, but really a lot of these are actuarial calculations. And at the end of the day, if you're actually implementing the infinite banking strategy, the rate of return on the life insurance cash value is really not as important as you being able to have your money working in two or more places at the same time.
0: I agree with with what you're saying. When I think about the rate of return questions that I get from people, it more has to do with them confusing the dividend. Oh, the
1: published the, dividend rates.
0: Yeah. The published dividend rate being an actual rate of return that they're receiving a policy. And we, we both know that just isn't the case, whatever that published dividend rate is, that, that is a percentage of their surplus profit that's paid to all policyholders. It's not an actual return that you receive in your individual policy. If the published dividend scale is 6%, the misinformation out there somehow is that, oh, well, my policy grew by 6% that particular year. And and that's just not the way it works. Exactly as if we need more stuff to confuse people with. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and you know the the insurance company themselves certainly don't help with that. They're publishing these rates, but that has absolutely nothing to do with what the individual policies are going to experience.
0: To to sum up real briefly on on rate of return, that published rate it, it's not what you get individually in your own policy. It's just a percentage of surplus profit that gets paid out to all the policyholders and to add one more detail to that, if if there's a life insurance company is bigger than the rest and they have a, a larger surplus profit, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're paying a higher dividend to each right. policyholder. The, the thing with a larger life insurance company is that they have more policyholders to pay dividends to. And yep. all of that surplus profit... Is going to be paid out to those policyholders. So whether it's coming from a, a large company or a small company, again, this is stuff that you know we're majoring in the minors. But being from a large company compared to a small company, it doesn't make a hill of beans because ultimately you're going to receive what you receive in these participating whole life policies, and it's going to be relative to to really how much death benefit. You have accumulated up to that point, and and how mature your your policy is. It it has nothing to do with the revenue, or the size of that life insurance company.
1: Yeah, you know, it is something to that can be difficult to get your head around the the reality is the insurance companies don't actually tell us how they're going to calculate exactly each policy will be credited a dividend, how they're actually exactly going to divide up the divisible surplus that goes back to all the policy owners. And so that that is a little bit of a thing where we are not given that information. But you know, with some of these companies that have been around for over a hundred years, we do have a very good track record to show proof that those things do happen. But the, the benefit of what we have here is we have guaranteed growth, no matter what happens, even if a dividend doesn't get paid at all, we're never going to lose money. In fact, our money's only going to grow in, in the form of cash value. And so, Maybe just to, to wrap things up and sum things up, dividends are a return of premium. So it's almost like we're putting money into a type of an emergency fund that at the end of the year, if we, if we didn't experience you know, some of the costs that we thought we might experience from an emergency standpoint, we can free up a portion of that emergency fund and reallocate that back towards other more productive areas of our life without having worried about whether or not those emergencies pop up. So we're ready for anything.
0: And if any part of the show was confusing, just remember, don't major in the minors. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. If you want to major in the minors, uh, let us know. Let us know what your questions are. We'll be happy to answer them. You can go to thefifthedition.com, reach out to us and let us know what's on your mind and take you down that road so you can learn and implement IBC into your life.
1: Awesome. Take care, everybody.